So we're looking at um, Hebrews chapter 2 this morning, verses 5 through Hebrews chapter 3, the first verse. So if there's one thing that I have learned over the past several years, it's that we all care a lot about who's in charge of the future. Just think about the past couple election cycles. Think about the prospect that Donald Trump might run again in 2024 and observe how that makes you feel. Different ways for difference of us, different ones of us probably. But for most of us, who we think is in charge of the future affects us a lot on a personal and, and internal level even. Well, that was definitely true for those that uh, we call... Um, the Hebrews, who the Sermon of Hebrews was originally addressed to. Remember, if you've been here the past couple weeks, they were suffering. They were being persecuted. Life was really hard for them because they were followers of Jesus. And they had gotten discouraged. And so they were thinking of giving up on Jesus and going back to a more comfortable religion, which for them, they could find in the Jewish synagogue that they had uh, previously belonged to. And so the author of Hebrews addresses them, and in our passage today, the author speaks to them and to us about who's in charge of their future. Verse 5. It's not to angels that God has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. The, The future, the world to come, isn't in the hands of angels. Remember, the original Hebrews of, or the original hearers of Hebrews were really big on angels. They were very enamored with the angelic beings, partly because Jews at that time believed that the law of Moses, which was so important to them, so central to their lives and their faith, they believed that had been handed down and delivered to Moses through angels. And so the author of Hebrews says to them, guess what? God did not put angels in charge of the world to come. And when Hebrews talks about the world to come, it's not talking about going to heaven when we die. It's talking rather about God making a new heavens and a new earth and us living on that new earth with God in a perfect world forever. That's our future. And Hebrews is saying, it's not the angels who are going to make that world arrive or be in charge of it when it comes. And then there's this long quotation from Psalm 8. I'm going to read it from uh, the New American Standard Translation. And just realize as you listen to it, when when it uses the word man and the pronoun he, it's referring to a human being in general, regardless of gender. It's just older language that, that masculinized the... The, um, the human, human being and use the pronoun he. So, he. so what is man, a human being, that you remember him? Or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You have made him a little lower or you've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and you have appointed him Over the works of your hands, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. 
this psalm is reflecting back on the creation story, Genesis 1, where God majestically and wonderfully created the world and made all that is good. If we read the, the whole of Psalm 8, which is, the Hebrews doesn't quote the whole psalm, but we would hear about the heavens and the angels and the moon and the stars are all up in the heavens and they shine and they're full of glory. And then down here on this amazing earth with its wonderful animals and its birds in the sky and its fish frolicking in the sea, who has God put in charge of all those wondrous, splendorous works? Surprisingly, not a shining angel, not the stars, but humans, humble creatures that we are made of dust. And back in the days before there was much soap going around, people really were dirt creatures most of the time. They didn't shine. They weren't white like angels or however we picture angels. They were dirt creatures. And yet we as humans are the ones who are supposed to be in charge of this wondrous, splendorous creation with its sunsets and its Milky Way and its mountains grandeur. Our job in, in the Genesis 1 creation account is to work with God, to help steward his world, to help it to run well, to keep the chaos at bay so there can be order and so the creation can flourish and so that we can help to bring out its full potential. But we aren't doing so well, are we? Thanks to our mismanagement, the world is broken. We're failing at our job. There's trouble, there's chaos, there's oppression, there's environmental damage, there's war. And so the beautiful vision of Psalm 8, the creation vision, where we rule God's wonderful world well, that vision is broken down. And the author of Hebrews sums this up in one line in verse 8, saying, yet at present we do not see everything subjected to him. In other words, humanity in Psalm 8 is not doing a very good job at being in charge of the world. We don't have it under control in a good way. And remember, those Hebrews is, is addressing would totally agree that the world's not as it should be. After all, they're being persecuted. They're being imprisoned. They're being slandered. They're being terrorized and oppressed just because they worship someone named Jesus. And though they worship Jesus as king, this Jesus sure doesn't seem to be in charge of very much in their experience. No, it sure seems like it's the Roman emperor who's in charge of everything. That, that Caesar rules the world, rules God's creation, but not with goodness, but rather with oppression. And to the extent that an empire like Rome or, or a powerful nation like America tries to rule the world... We tend to do it in a very flawed and broken way. And that's why the author of Hebrews is pointing us to the future. And that's why we care so much about who rules the future and who's in charge of the future. And the author of Hebrews says, don't worry. A better creation, a better future is coming. And who's in charge of this future and the world to come? Who's going to save us from the mess we've made of this present world and bring about the better world that we long for? The world that Psalm 8 sings about and wistfully and wonderfully points us toward. Well, Hebrew gives us 
Hebrews gives us the answer in verse 9, focusing our eyes on Jesus by picking up two lines from Psalm 8. At present, we, we may not see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. Now, crowned with glory and honor. Here, Hebrews is encouraging us to see two things. First, as we've seen, we, humanity, failed to fulfill the Psalm 8 vision of exercising good, wise, loving rule over the creation. But second, Jesus succeeds where we fail. Jesus fits the portrait of of Psalm 8, of a ruler, of a human, the portrait that we have failed to live up to. Jesus was a human being for a little while, made a little lower than the angels like we are. But now, unlike us, Jesus has been crowned with glory and honor. God has made Jesus king over all, as we saw last week in in Hebrews 1. God has put Jesus in charge of the coming of the world to come. The new heavens and the new earth, when creation will be made right again. And, And so here's the good news about our future. Through Jesus, a human being, a son of man, the amazing portrait of Psalm 8 will ultimately be fulfilled the way it was meant to be fulfilled. The heaven shining above, the earth and its creatures creatures wonderful and beauteous, beauteous below, and a truly human one in charge of it all, exercising good, wise leadership over it all. Who's in charge of the future matters a lot. And so the writer of Hebrews wants us to get our focus on the one who's in charge of the future because that will encourage us and that will help us to be faithful to Jesus. The rest of this passage that that we're looking at this morning is so rich with beautiful truth about Jesus as it focuses us on Jesus. It so wonderfully holds up for us the amazing realities of who Jesus is. It's so rich with gospel truth that I'm excited to to share it with you this morning. When I was in college, our Christian fellowship had a Bible study series on the gospel of Mark, which we regularly took students through, and we affectionately called it Jesus in Your Face. And that's what this passage is for us this morning. It's Jesus in your face. Jesus lifted high. Jesus shown to be awesome. The one who's in charge of our future. And it matters because Hebrews is claiming that Jesus is the one in charge of the world to come. And that matters. When when we focus on who we think will be in charge of our future, it affects us a lot even on a very personal level. And here's the point the author of Hebrews is making. The problems this world is facing, they're not going to be solved by angels. Don't focus on angels thinking they're the answer. And also verse 2, if we go back uh, to the beginning of, of this chapter, our problems are not going to be solved by the law of Moses, even if angels had a hand in its delivery to Moses. Don't think that being more obedient to a set of religious moral commands is going to solve everything. 
Now, I'm not saying being obedient or being moral doesn't matter. It certainly does, but don't think it's enough by itself. Especially because we all have this, this habit of failing so often. Even when we know what's right, too often we, we find ourselves not doing it. What we need is a savior. We need someone who can fulfill the Psalm 8 portrait, who can rule over the earth in a way that's good, in a way that will bring order and peace instead of chaos and conflict. And the author of Hebrews says, look at Jesus. He's the one. He is absolutely awesome. He's the one God is putting in charge of your future. But why? Why did God put Jesus in charge? What's so great about Jesus? Well, verse 9 tells us, because Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. I've shared with you before, I think, the, the story of Nelson Mandela and how he went from a minority opposition leader in uh, South Africa under apartheid. He was imprisoned. He was often slandered and persecuted. But he went from that to eventually becoming the country's president. And when he was asked how he became president one time, Mandela said, I suffered my way into leadership. And that's what Jesus did too. That's what Jesus did. That's why he's such a great leader. And the rest of this chapter will unpack for us how that is. Jesus didn't stay up in heaven with God, even though he is God, even though through him everything was created, and it was created for him too, as we saw in chapter 1. But no, Jesus came down into the mess that we have made of his creation, and he experienced its brokenness, and its chaos, and its trouble, and its pain. Listen to some of the ways this chapter expresses Jesus coming down to experience his his broken creation. Verse 9, he suffered death. He tasted death. Verse 10, he suffered. Verse 14, he shared in our humanity, having flesh and blood like us. Verse 17, he became fully human in every way. Verse 18, he suffered when he was tempted. What a picture. Do you relate to, to that experience? God says, that's the kind of person who should be in charge of the future, who should be in charge of my world. That's the kind of leader who should be in charge, one who can relate to those he leads, one who has shared their their experience, one who's humble because he has suffered his way into leadership, one who's not above everyone, but who's one of us, who understands who's been there firsthand. Jesus is one of us. When you pray to him, when you you look at him, you're dealing with someone who has been there in your shoes and who gets what it's like to be you. Some of you have had this experience. You, You lose a loved one someone very dear to you, and you grieve deeply, and and people, they try to comfort you, and you appreciate their effort, but nobody can comfort you quite like someone who has also grieved the loss of someone that they love. For that person, it's like words are almost not necessary. You just look at each other, and and your look says more than words ever could. It, It says, I understand. 
I feel your pain. I've been there too. And that's why Jesus is, is such a great one for God to have put in charge of our future. As Hebrew puts it in, in verse 10, Hebrews, Jesus has been made or was made perfect through what he suffered. He's the perfect one to be in charge because like us, he's gone through hardships. He's walked in our shoes. And then the author of Hebrews describes further what kind of leader Jesus is. What, what kind of leader he is as God offers him to us as the perfect one to lead us into the future. And, and Hebrews does it by sharing three facets of, of Jesus' leadership. Three different ways that Jesus is a leader for us. Here they are. Jesus is a pioneer. Our pioneer. Jesus is our older brother. And Jesus is our high priest. So let's take a look at those three. First, verse 10. He's the pioneer of our salvation. Some translations have author. Other translations, uh, other good translations for this Greek word being translated here would be champion or founder or trailblazer. The Greek word is, uh, it refers to someone who originates or founds someone or something. Something, not someone. And usually, this, this person who does this has heroic status because of what they founded, what they originated. Like the founding fathers in America. In fact, founding father would be another good translation. Founding fathers tend to be heroes, right? And Jesus is the founding father of our salvation, Hebrews is telling us. The founding father of, of the world to come, the new heavens and the new earth that we're looking forward to and that we're beginning to get tastes of now as we get to know Jesus and as we walk with Jesus. Then second, Jesus is not only our founding father, our trailblazer, he's also our older brother. Verse 11, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And verse 17, he had to be made like us, fully human in every way. Not only is Jesus our founding father, our trailblazer, who went ahead of us and gave the ultimate sacrifice to inaugurate the world to come, a new kingdom, a new heavens and a new earth, but Jesus has brought us in on the deal. He's invited us to be part of his family. He's invited us home and introduced us to his dad. He's made us insiders. He's enabled us to belong and to, be, to feel welcome and comfortable as we begin to settle into this new world that we're looking forward to and that we're already getting foretastes of now and working toward ourselves. So Jesus understands what it's like to be us. And, and so put these two together, trailblazer, founding father, and older brother. Sometimes... Older siblings who are part of our family um, will do this for younger ones. They will blaze trails for them. If you're blessed to have one who, who, if you're blessed to have an older sibling who loves you and is an example and a leader to you. As my kids have gotten older, becoming teens and young adults, it's been fun to watch them occasionally do this for one another. Josiah, for example, goes off to college and he participates in a certain program there 
And then his sister applies to the same college and the same program. And the faculty in charge of the decisions of who they let in are falling over themselves to recruit Sarah into this program. Now, no doubt it's because of Sarah's own qualities. But I don't think it hurt at all that her brother had impressed the faculty so much previously. And then recently, Sarah returned the favor. She has a part-time job, and Josiah recently uh, interviewed at the same place for a summer job there as well. And the interviewer says to him, well, I didn't have to think very hard about hiring you because you're Sarah's brother. (laughs) As an older brother and even as a younger sister, they're being trailblazers for one another. And that's what Jesus has done for us as our older brother. Inviting us into his family, introducing us to his father, and opening the way for us to be a part of what he's bringing about. Going before us, leading by example, teaching us how to live in the new creation, which is coming and which in small tastes here and there is already beginning to arrive, especially as we live out the way of Jesus together as a community and then share that blessing with others as we go on mission with God. Then third, not only is Jesus our founding father, our pioneer, our champion, and not only is he our older brother, he's also our high priest, verse 17. He's a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Now this one can be weird for us because we're not, many of us are not used to priests, let alone high priests. (laughs) But the first hearers of Hebrews would understand, in fact, every ancient person would understand Because priests were as common to them as mail carriers and store clerks are to us. And priests were as important to them as movie stars and all-star athletes maybe are to some of us. What did priests do? They stood between you and the divine. And you don't know how to access the divine because it's heavenly, it's numinous, it's untouchable, it's mysterious But you need to access the divine because that's where the blessing is and the help is and the favor is. And so you have a priest to help you, to to stand in the middle and to be a mediator for you between you and the divine. And so priests had a lot of power and importance in, in ancient cultures. And in Roman culture, interestingly, Caesar was viewed as a priest. In fact, he was called the Pontifex Maximus, the high priest. A great, great title. Wouldn't you you love to have the title Pontifex Maximus? The high priest of Rome. Caesar was a, a king, a ruler, who was also a priest. He was doubly powerful. Not only did he have human power over you, political power, military power, but he also was your mediator to connect you to the gods. And so the will of the gods and the blessing of the gods to some extent depended on him. No, the book of Hebrews says, not Caesar. Don't worry about him or any other high priest. You don't need them on your side. You worship the true God and you have a far better high priest who's also your happens to be your older brother and your founding father, Jesus, your Savior. He stands between you and God. 
he's God, so he has an in with God like no other priest. And he's been in your shoes as a human, so he understands what it's like to be you. He's suffered. He's been tempted. So he's the perfect one to represent you to God and to connect you to God. So as your founding father, as our trailblazer, and as our older brother, and as our high priest, what does Jesus do for us? Why is he so great? What great things has he done for us? Well, we're coming to the end here, but let me just briefly highlight two things the author of Hebrews highlights. First, Jesus has defeated the dark powers that were keeping the vision of Psalm 8, that beautiful creation vision, the world as it was intended to be when it was created, the dark powers that are keeping that vision from being fulfilled, the dark powers that hold this present world in chaos and in darkness and brokenness and destruction. And ultimately, worst of all, they hold it in death. Verse 14, Jesus too shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. How's that for a champion, for a hero? (laughs) How's that for an older brother to look up to? You think of a story like Saving Private Ryan, maybe, where brave champions risk their lives in a daring raid. They break in among enemy forces to rescue a captive or a hostage. That's what Jesus did for us. He, he gave his life in the process. He came down, he broke the power of death and the power of the devil to set us free and to make it possible for us to become a part of the world to come. He secured our future. He saved us. He set us free. He rescued us. Then second, he saves us in another way too. Verse 17. Jesus became a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. In the biblical worldview, the fact that we've all had a hand in messing up this world and in messing up the original vision and mandate of of creation in Psalm 8 to, to rule well and wisely and lovingly God's wonderful world, the fact that we messed that up means that we owe a debt to the Creator. And this is called sin. And sin separates us from God, from the creator. It cuts us off from God's good graces. But the writer of Hebrews says that in becoming like us, Jesus was able to be our priest, to represent us, to stand between us and God, and to offer a perfect sacrifice to atone for our debt. To cover over our offense so that we can be part of God's family, so that we can be a part of the coming world, the new creation. And again, that sacrifice was his own life. He died on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to God. Wow. It matters who's in charge of the world and in charge of our future. And Hebrews says, look, Chapter 3, verse 1, fix your thoughts on Jesus, not on Biden, not on Trump, not on Pelosi. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Look who's in charge of your future. Don't give up. Don't be weary or discouraged. 
Look who we have as our founding father and our trailblazer. Look who we have as our older brother. Look who we have as our high priest. Fix your thoughts on him. One just like us, who's suffered like us, who's been tempted like us, making him our perfect leader, our perfect savior, our perfect king. Look at Jesus. He's the one who holds your future. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your son who was willing to come and do all that. And you, as a father who loved him and was no doubt protective of him, said, I'm willing to let you go because I love them too. And um, God, I want to pray especially for those who might not know Jesus as their savior, as their trailblazer, as their older brother, as their king and their high priest. Thank you that Jesus, you are willing for anyone who comes to you and says, I'm willing to trust you and follow you. You're willing to say, welcome to the family. Come be a part of my salvation. And so God, for anyone in this congregation on Zoom or here in the building who does not know you in that way, I pray that they would hear your call, your call to their hearts right now and would respond and say, Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my future too. Amen.